Just, uh, I want to do a little bit of review, some of the things that you've um, probably heard. In fact, you may have heard all of this in different pieces. But in Romans 3.23 it says, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Um, how many of you understand that we used to be sinners, but when we received Jesus, we became saints? And uh, that, that's a huge transition. I remember going in Bill's office, I think it was about nine or ten years ago, and I was, I was going through this process, what I just told you about, but it began with a dream. And I've, told this, I've shared this dream so many times, but it began with a dream. And, um, and the, in, the, in, the, in the middle, I woke up feeling like um, somebody died in this, but I couldn't remember the dream. But this verse was going through my mind. Just one part of, of Proverbs, I think it's Proverbs 30, it says, the world cannot hold up under a pauper when he becomes a king. And so I had this experience where the Lord said to me, you're a pauper, a slave, who's become a king. And it's time for you to change the way you think. And I remember we adopted um, a uh, young man when he was 15 years old out of a drug home. And he's, uh, he's still our son, actually he's a great young man. He's about 37 now. And I remember the first night I, that he was at our house and I have, um, at the time we have uh, three other teenagers besides Eddie, his name's Eddie. And we're sitting at the dinner table and we're eating and you know, Kathy's cooked this big meal, and always likes to cook a lot of food. And Eddie is, he's eating and while he's eating, He's taking food from the, you know, the center of the table, and he's wrapping, he secretly thinks he's being secret about it. He's secretly wrapping it in napkins and putting it around his plate. And when dinner was over, and as the, as the food would get less, he would, he would be more urgent about it. And, as, and when dinner was over, he got up and he slid those napkins under the table and put, him, put them under under his shirt and took him upstairs and over the next couple of months we found all kinds of places that Eddie was hiding food because he grew up in a drug home his mom and dad were both drug addicts and there was never enough food so whenever there was food you got all you could and you hid it his mother would people would buy them gifts a lot of social programs would buy them gifts for Christmas and his mother would sell his gifts for drugs. And so I remember this time, Eddie had been with us probably maybe a year, um, year and a half. And he was, it was right after Christmas actually, I remember it distinctly. And it, we decided at Christmas time, we didn't have a lot of money in those days, but we decided for Christmas that because Eddie had never had a Christmas that we would do something really special. And so we saved, and we, we, we really splurged, and we spent, I don't remember at the time, we, you know, I think we spent three or $400 on each kid. For us, that was a lot of money at the time. And so they had gifts, and Eddie couldn't wait for Christmas. The Christmas, you know, he'd never had a Christmas in his life. And so, you know, he's waiting, and he's shaking the gifts, like, you know, two weeks before, he's shaking every gift and trying to figure out what it is. And so, uh, uh, and Kathy had... Um, had got some stockings, Christmas stockings for each of the kids and she'd put it on our, we didn't have a fireplace, we had a wood stove. She'd put the four stockings on the wood stove and she'd put little trinkets in them, you know. It wasn't expensive stuff and in the boys, she put a bunch of stuff in there but she gave them each three 
um, comic books. Because um, Eddie liked comic books, so he, she got three for Jason and three for Eddie. And, and, and um, he got a basketball that year. He loved basketball and all this stuff. And so we opened the gifts, and everybody's excited. You know, we're, we're all, every, actually, everyone's more excited watching Eddie open the gifts than, than anything, you know. And so, um, so Eddie's like, you know, he's like, he's 15. He's like this little kid, and he's like, oh, and he got this, he got that. And, um, and he had all of the gifts, this tightly you know, stacked around him. And we thought, oh, that's so cute, you know. And so we got him a basketball, and I said, hey, Eddie, let me see the basketball. So he hands me the basketball. You know, it's in a box. It's, you can see it, though. He hands me the basketball, and he's watching me, and about 30 seconds goes by, and he goes, can, can I have my ball back? I'm like, yeah. So he, has, he gets his ball back, and I was like, well, that was kind of weird. That was kind of strange, but okay, whatever, you know. Everybody was just having so much fun, I didn't think twice about it. And then at the end of the evening, we would have dinner. It's kind of our tradition. We'd have dinner, and the, and the kids would do the last thing was get their stockings, and Kathy had little trinkets in them, and it wasn't lots of money. It was just a lot of little cute things in there that she'd bought for them. So they got their stockings after dinner, and they opened their stockings, and, and we're taking out stuff, and Eddie was excited, and he was taking stuff out. And when everything was all said and done, we were kind of cleaning up, and, you know, it was like 9 o'clock at night, and... Eddie comes over to his mother and he goes, um, I have something to ask you. And she said, well, what is it, Eddie? He said, did you mean to give Jason four comic books and me too? And she's like, what? And he said, I, I only got two comic books, but he got four in his stocking. I think one of them is mine. And she said, oh, no, I meant to give you both three. He said, that's what I thought. Can you, can you ask Jason for my comic book back? I mean, they sleep in the same room. I mean, hollow. What's the comic book? And so, so it was right after Christmas, and, uh, and we, were, we were driving uh, home someplace um, on, uh, from Reading, so we had about an hour drive, and Eddie was with me. And, and I started talking to Eddie about, I said, do you, do you know that... Um, you are not poor anymore. And from Eddie's perspective, this makes sense. I said, you got adopted into a wealthy family. Now, we are not wealthy. We definitely weren't wealthy then, but compared to where he came from, we were millionaires. And I started talking to him about the fact that his circumstances had changed, but his stances hadn't. That he was still thinking like a slave. And I remember him in the car just, and, and I was just, and he was like, you know, at first he was very defensive, like, I don't know what you're talking about, you know. And I started talking to him about hiding food. We still hadn't talked to him about hiding food. And now he'd been hiding food for a year. And I, and I started talking to him about Christmas. I said, remember, remember two weeks ago at Christmas, you wouldn't let go of the basketball? He goes, well, I didn't want you to take my ball. I'm like, what am I going to go with it? I bought it for you. And then you asked mom about the comic books. Well, I thought that was very unfair. Eddie, the comic book cost two bucks. You, you sleep in the same room. You could have read it if it wanted it. And, but, you know, when, you, when you're raised as a pauper, you think that if somebody gets something, it's going to be taken from you. There's, there's not enough. So, so I'm always thinking that if you get... Listen, if you get promoted, I just got demoted. 
If you got money, it must have come from money that could have been gone to me. And that same mentality is so prevalent in the church. Like you take an offering something for somebody and it's like, we serve a God who's a multi-quadrillionaire. I mean, people write me all the time, they're like, do you believe in the prosperity gospel? I'm like, I don't believe in the poverty gospel. <laughs> I, I, last I read, my, my daddy's wealthy, and if he withholds from me, it's for my good, but he doesn't withhold from me because he doesn't have it. You know, there are times when I, I've known uh, two billionaires in my life, I mean, like, that I've had really close friendships with, and several millionaires, and they have, they're, they're, when, when it comes time for them to pass on their inheritance, they're concerned about if their children are going to be able to handle the money, but they want to give it to them, but they're just concerned that they're, what, if it's going to ruin them, if it's going to become who they are. Do you know what I'm trying to say? I'm sorry if this is going kind of boring. But I'm just trying to say that, that we are a royal priesthood, and yet most of us have been raised in an orphanage, and we still have that orphan mentality. Listen, if you feel powerless or hopeless or, re- or, or if you feel depressed, you're believing thoughts that are not true. You have a reality. You have some other virtual reality. You have, it, your reality isn't God's reality. And in fact, Bill says it this way. He said, if you, he said, you can't afford to have a thought in your mind that isn't in God's. So there's always enough in God's world. There's always plenty in God's world. And, 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 I, and I, if you feel, you know, I think sometimes, um, sometimes it feels like life is happening to us instead of life is happening for us. And whenever we feel like that, we've believed lies, like something's happened, like we are actually children of God. And so um, I think it's really important that, not that we just have a theology that says, I'm no longer a sinner. You know, I was a sinner. Before I met Jesus, I was a sinner. But when I received Jesus, I became a saint. That's not, listen, that's, that's not just semantics. It, it's, it's your personhood. And so, you know, if you believe you're a sinner, you'll sin by faith because you got righteous by faith. You received, you believe Jesus Christ and you got righteous by faith. And so faith in, faith in what Jesus did for you transformed you. So it's really important that we realize that you know, you always create the environment around you that you believe you have within you. If you believe that you're a sinner, you'll spend all your life trying to not sin. You, 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 you'll reproduce the environment around you that you believe that you have within you. And sometimes, um, you know, I, we, in counseling, this is huge, and I, I think it's huge for a lot of us, it's like, we're like, you know, no one respects me. If they don't respect you, it's because you don't respect you. You teach people how to treat you by how you treat yourself. I've used this example many times. If I go over your house, and you know, there's, there's the, the lawn's three feet high, and there's junk cars all around, the windows are broke out of your house, and there's, you know, cans and crap all over your yard, and I come in your house, and the inside's just as bad, I may not put my feet up on my coffee table at home, but I bet I do at yours. You know why? You told me how to treat you by how you treat you. 
And if you live like that and you come to my house and the, the lawn's manicured and I have, uh, I have a, a nicely decorated house and I keep my house nice, you may put your, ha- your, your feet on the coffee table at your house, but I bet you don't do it at my house even though I don't tell you not to. You know why? Because the environment I created around me tells, me, t- tells you not to. If you talk dirty, it's amazing how people around you will talk dirty. If you don't, it's amazing how they'll clean up their language or apologize for talking like that. I know that because I've been around Bill. (laughs) You you don't complain around Bill without feeling guilty when you leave. Because Bill doesn't complain. He doesn't talk bad about people. If you talk bad about somebody around Bill, even if it's true, he doesn't enter the conversation and he looks at you as if you're, you're not that stupid, are you? You, you, your, conversation, your negative conversations gain no traction when you're around Bill. He, if he speaks negatively about something, it's to solve a problem. And it better have, it, we better have a good solution before we walk out of the room. Because he's not going to be alright with talking negative about somebody without having a solution. In fact, he can't wait to get to the solution. Sometimes we're talking about staff, somebody we're having a problem with, and, and I'm like, you know, da 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 And he's looking at me like, okay, listen, okay, we've done that. I, I'm gonna, you can give me a 30-second to a minute review on the problem, but you better give me a five-minute solution. Because I'm not okay with you talking negative about people, even if it's, to come to a, even if it's true, and we need to talk about it to come to a solution. He's, he's, when I say he's not okay, he's not comfortable with it. And, 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 and what, what happened, what's happened is he carries himself like a prince. I, I've been so blessed to, um, to uh, have met Bill and, and to, be a, um, to have him be a part of my life. I, you know, he's a fifth generation pastor. Obviously, he's not perfect. There's no such thing as a perfect person. Everybody has weaknesses. Everybody has their struggles. And um, as I've got to the inside, you know, inside and, and met lots of really famous Christians and people that we all admire, you know, I've come to realize that everybody has struggles. Everybody has weaknesses. Everybody has bad days. Everybody has things about themselves that they wish that was different. Everybody. There's not, I, I haven't met one person, you know, and I could tell you famous people that we, that we all, that we all admire and we'd like to be like them and we get on the inside and when we talk personally, they're like, I wish this was different about me. I struggle with this problem. I, I, I struggle with this weakness. So, and, and Bill's no different. He would say that if he was standing here. But being able to watch someone who was raised by five generations of kings and coming out of a completely broken home in generations of brokenness, we would, um, Kathy and I, we lived with the Johnsons for six months when we were very young. We were, I think, 24, 25. I was Kathy's three years younger. And we, would, um, we, would, we were with the Johnsons like five days out of seven for probably 13 or 14 years. We hung out together. Our kids all grew up together. They had three kids. Before we had Eddie, we had three kids. And all of our kids dated each other. So I'm like, I'm going to be a Johnson. I'm going to get the inheritance, you know. But none of our kids married one another. But now one of my grandkids likes one of his grandkids. And I'm like, we're getting in the back door here. But we would lay awake at night, Kathy and I, at night when we were young. And we'd, be, we'd get home from the Johnsons, 9, 30, 10 o'clock, put the kids to bed. And we would lay awake at night and we would talk about how they dealt with their kids. How they talked to one another. 
Ha, I wanted to do that. <laughs> At our place, there is no steps. You do that, you're, you're, old, you're gone. <laughs> and and um, it, was, it was really, I know I'm just kind of, I know this isn't a teaching yet. It, I'm going someplace, I hope we get there. We'll get there sometime. What I'm getting at is that, is watching someone who was raised in a palace create an environment around him. We, we were all broke. They were broke. The Johnsons were broke. I mean, they were dirt poor. We were dirt poor. But watching dirt poor princes walk with dirt poor paupers is a totally different mentality. I mean, sincerely. When neither one of us had money, their family was probably a little poorer than our family, actually, financially, through most of the, our early years. But Bill never let his checkbook define him. He never carried himself like he didn't have any money. I don't mean like he just wasted money. I mean, he didn't let money define him. And I, it, was, it was amazing. We would go different places, and, um, you know, Bill's, uh, we would go to conferences. Uh, Bill would speak at conferences, and I would just go carry his bags. I was in business. And, um, and I, I watched, you know, we'd go in the green room, you know, that's the place where the kind of the leaders kind of hang out, the conference speakers and all. And Bill did what Bill always does. He sits there quietly. And within 20 minutes, always, every place we went, even there would be people with 10 times bigger names than Bill in those days especially, but they'd all be gathered around Bill and they'd be asking him questions. How would you handle this? What do you think about this? This guy's like 28. These would be men in their 40s and 50s. Because in, there was an invisible crown on his head that people could feel it and see it. It's like here's the prince sitting with princes who were raised as slaves talking to the princes about how to behave. Not because he wouldn't be correcting them, they would be asking him, how do you think like that? How do you do that? Why do you behave like that? How do you carry yourself like that? And he'd be telling them how to think like a prince. I love this verse. When I, when I wrote The Supernatural Ways of Royalty, I had an editor, her name's Allison. Actually, she's edited all my books, um, I think except for one. And... Um, the, we, we named the book The Supernatural Ways of Royalty probably, I think it was called From Paupers to Princes, halfway through the book, halfway through the writing of the book, and then one day I just had this idea, we should call this The Supernatural Ways of Royalty. And so the, we, um, what I do with my books is we, we write the book, we, you know, chapter by chapter, and I send them to Ellison, and Ellison does all the literary um, editing, and then um, with all my books, I think except for one, um, for three of my books, Ellison's lived in another state, so she flies in for a week, and we spend three or four days reading the whole manuscript out loud and editing the book. And so we were doing that with the first book. She, she came to my house, and she spent three days at my house, and we, we were reading the book out loud. And um, the, the day that she came to the, my house, um, she, uh, so, so we named the book The Supernatural Ways of Royalty, and the day that she, uh, she came to my house, she said, I found this verse. Let's see if I can actually... Um, find the verse for you. It's in 1 Samuel, and it's, um, it, the verse, um, I, think I, I think I know it by heart. Sorry. It'd be better if I was able to find it. Here it is, yeah. 1 Samuel 10, 25. 
It says, Then Samuel explained to the people the ways of royalty. He wrote it in a book and laid it before the Lord. She found this verse the last day of our edit. Then, listen to this. Then Samuel, the prophet, explained to the people the ways of royalty. He wrote it in a book and laid it before the Lord. Our book was called The Supernatural Ways of Royalty. She goes, you're not going to believe this verse I found. Then Samuel taught the way, taught the people the ways of royalty. He wrote it in a book and laid it before the Lord. So if you open the book, The Supernatural Ways of Royalty, it opens with that verse. Then Samuel taught the people the ways of royalty. He wrote it in a book and laid it before the Lord. Interesting thing is, I didn't realize until years later, I went back and was reading that verse, and Samuel taught the people the ways of royalty when they asked for a king and they were led by judges. God wanted them to have a king. Remember King David? God said to Abraham, kings will come from you. And God had in mind a king. He just wasn't born yet. His name was David. But the people asked for a king too soon, but God honored them and gave them the best king he could find, and it was Saul. So they were ruled by judges. They were ruled by, in other words, their senior prophets were the leaders of their country. Does this make sense? So when they, were, when they were transitioning from being led by a prophet to being led by a king, Samuel gathered the people, and he said, we're going through a transition. And he taught them the ways of royalty. And then he wrote it in a book. And he laid it before the Lord. I think that we're going through a transition, a shift. I had a dream um, two nights ago, very vivid dream. It was actually in the morning. It was right before I got up. And in this, I was climbing this mountain in this dream. I was climbing this mountain, and, and the mountain began to crack, and smoke started to come up through the, through the cracks. And, I, and I, in the dream... I, I got really excited and I said, this isn't a mountain, this is a volcano. And it's about to erupt. But it was exciting. Like there's about to be a transition. There's about to be a river of fire flowing from before the throne. And I think that it's important for us, like I feel like, I feel like, like we're like Eddie. <laughs> and we're driving with the Lord in the car. And the Lord's been like, Hey, you're, you know, the way you're saving, like what you're doing with the food there and the way you're hanging on to your possessions and the way that you're, you think about life and the way you feel powerless and the way you're discouraged and the way you feel like you need to compete with everybody and the way you, you think about your future, like you have reduced yourself down to a slave mentality. And let me tell you, son, um, actually, you're a royal priesthood. <laughs> and actually, I'm your daddy and, and I'm God. And... Um, and actually, I, uh, you're a mobile home for me, and I'm a homebody. I'm always home. <laughs> and actually, son, I created you for glory. I actually created you to be amazing. John 17, Jesus prays this, you know, part of the prayer. It's a long prayer. But John 17, Jesus prays, Father, I pray that the glory that you gave me that you would give to them, that they might be one. I have a question for you. Did Jesus ever pray a prayer the Father didn't answer? 
It's amazing. We teach things as if Jesus' prayers weren't answered. Jesus turns to the disciples and he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. What's the next, what's the next verse? Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send labors in the harvest. So people say all the time, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. I'm like, no, no, no. Jesus prayed that, and God answered, and you're the answer. Now, as soon as you become a Christian, you move from, a, from the harvest to a harvester. Because now he has a whole kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood, and, and everybody in the kingdom is a royal priesthood. Not just... You're not just a priesthood, you're a royal priesthood. You're the answer to God's, you are the answer to Jesus' prayer. Jesus prayed, Father, we need laborers. We've got a big harvest, we need laborers. God says, okay, listen, here's what I'll do. Everybody who gets converted will be a laborer. And I will take the people who normally labor, and I'll make them equippers. They will equip the saints, and the saints will do the work of service. So no longer will we ever have a bigger harvest than we have workers. Because the workers are the harvest, and the harvesters are the workers. And people are like, you know, I don't want to steal the glory of God. Listen, if I gave you my car, there's no way that you could... You know, it's like, if I said, listen, you can have my car. I gave it to you as a gift. You don't want to be like, well, I don't want to go drive it, because I'm stealing... Chris's car. No, no, I gave it to you. People say things all the time, like, they're like, you know what, I just feel like we need to give God all the glory. Well, he gave it to you. Listen, there's no way. You can't give God glory he didn't give you. You didn't have it to give before he gave it to you. Do you know what I'm saying? When we worship, like, let's just give God glory. That's an arrogant statement if you don't realize that you have it to give. And he gave you glory to give. Some people are like, I just feel like that guy's trying to steal the glory of God. How can he steal something God gave you? Do you know of Ephesians 5, 1? Be imitators of God. Do you know when you're imitating God, you're being yourself? Man, you're just trying to be like God. You noticed, thank you. <laughs> I was made in his image and in his likeness. Listen, I'm trying to get back to acting like a child of God. See, it's easy to say, I'm act- I want to be a child of God. Everyone's like, yeah, how does a child of God act? Like God. <laughs> Dude, are you a Mormon? No, I'm a Christian. Okay. I'm right. You're being arrogant. No, arrogance would mean that I am the source of it. I am not the source of it. He's the source of it. But when I say I'm a loser, I'm insulting the guy who made me. Do you know you can't, think a bad, you can't think a bad thought about yourself without insulting him? Do you know that? You can't have a bad thought about yourself without insulting him. You were made in his image and in his likeness. So, first of all, he was the model. You were made in his image and likeness. You know how they have a model? Like the painters, the artists will have a model? Okay, so Jesus is the model. 
you're the painting, he's the artist. When the, when the, paint, when, when the artwork says, I suck, Come on, Deborah, you, you, you're with me. When the artwork says, I suck, what does it say about the model and the painter? If you made you, that could be a humble statement, but you did it. You don't have a right to think bad about you. That's a good word, actually. So, so here's where I'm going for tonight. I'll, I'll be done in about 40 to 50 minutes years why don't you um, turn to Daniel chapter 7 and and let me just kind of take the next 15 minutes and wrap it up with a few thoughts Daniel chapter 7 I think I've told the story here. I was, at, I don't know, if, I think, I know David was at this, at this uh, leader's advance, but I don't know if he remembers this. I was teaching out of, on humility to um, the leaders. And uh, Daniel chapter four talks about Nebuchadnezzar's humility and how greatness, after he humbled himself, how greatness, sovereignty, and all this stuff is what, and so I said to the, I said, we, have, we had 800 leaders at this leader's advance and I said, everyone turn to Daniel chapter 4. So the pastors turned to Daniel chapter 4, and I'm teaching on humility, and I can't find the book of Daniel. <laughs> I mean, I literally can't find it. And I'm trying to, you know, I don't know, if you've never preached before, maybe you don't, but sometimes we stall, because we're, we're, so, you know, I'm like, you know, and we learn to, like, multitask, like, let our mouth talk while we're brains thinking about something else. And so I'm, I'm looking, and, and finally I'm going like this. But I'm trying to not, I'm trying to, not, I'm trying to like, okay, I know it's in the Old Testament for sure. <laughs> and like, I have, I have refused to look in the table of contents. I am not going to do that in front of 800 pastors. And finally, and, and so finally, it's obvious I'm stalling. Because I've run out of things to say and I'm going. <laughs> and finally, I said to the, all the leaders, I said, I'm sorry, I can't find the book of Daniel. <laughs> it has left my Bible. So I kind of quoted it, and, and I got done, you know, speaking, and I was like, it was one of those times, like, man, I'd like to have that session back. And so I went, I went to my seat when I was done speaking, and I don't think very many people saw it, but I took my Bible, and I threw it like that under my seat. It opened to Daniel 4. <laughs> Serious. It opened to Daniel 4. I said, that wasn't funny. <laughs> I hate when the Lord makes you a message. I mean, in the podium, you know, it's like, okay, I'm going to speak on humility. Turn to Daniel 4. Oh, my God, I can't find the book. So, um, Daniel um, chapter 7, verse 9. We'll start there. I kept looking until the thrones were set up and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His vesture was like white snow. The hair of his head was like pure wool and his throne was ablaze with flames. I love this. And its wheels were burning fire. I have no idea what that means. I love when people try to explain things that God doesn't explain. I, I was watching on a face. There was a Facebook post the other day, and someone was, um, someone had posted. You know that that passage in Genesis that says that the sons of God went into the daughters of men, and they were they had all this like 
they'd written almost a book on what it meant. <laughs> it was so funny. Like, how'd you get all that out of one verse? Anyway, <laughs> some of you are probably like, well, I thought it was good. <laughs> I didn't say it was good. I just said it wasn't in the Bible. A river of fire was full. You know, sometimes I think that the Lord puts stuff in the Bible just so you'll know that there's a whole other world out there you actually don't know anything about. And he'll just like, just put it in the middle of, just in the middle of anything, like the middle of Genesis, like just stick a verse in there that, you, that he's not going to tell you about so that you'll know there's a whole bunch more that you, th- you, might, you, might, you might think you know a lot, then he just sticks something in there that you don't know a thing about and that he isn't going to tell you about till you get on the other side. And then, and it's so funny because people that have to know, they just make stuff up. <laughs> Seriously, just make stuff up. It just feels... There are some people that feel like they have to have an answer for every verse in the Bible. And if they don't know it, they're like, they just make, they just make it up. That's what I do. So, um, <laughs> verse 10. A river of fire was flowing from before him, and thousands upon thousands were attending him. Myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The courts sat, the books were open. I kept looking because of the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. And everybody said, yeah. yeah. And, the rest of the, and as for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away. Everybody say their dominion was taken away. Dominion. I, this is really important. Their dominion was taken away, but an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed period of time. They had no dominion, but they got to stay alive. Did you get that? Their dominion was taken away, but he extended life to them. How'd you like to walk the planet and have no authority? Okay, verse 13. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man was coming. Everybody say the Son of Man. He came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion. Everybody say dominion. And glory. And a kingdom that all peoples and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit was distressed within me, and the visions in my mind, they kept alarming me. I approached the one who was standing by me, and I began to ask him, what does this mean? So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. Verse 17. These great beasts, which we didn't read about, it's uh, verses 1 through 8. These great beasts, which are four in number, are four kings who arise from the earth. Look at verse 18. But the saints of the highest one will receive a kingdom and possess the kingdom forever for all ages to come. Okay, you didn't get a chance to read the whole vision. It starts from verse 1 actually. But there is no place in this vision that says anything about the saints of the highest one receiving a kingdom. The only place that says anything about anybody receiving a kingdom is in verse 13. Now the Son of Man, one like the Son of Man, one like the Son of Man, not the Son of Man, one like the Son of Man, came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. That all... That, that all peoples and nations and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and the kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. When the angel interprets the vision, this part of the vision, he says to Daniel, what you saw, son of man, that's the saints of the highest one. The son of man in the vision, 
The one like the Son of Man, that's the saints of the highest one. Why is that important? Because the saints, of, if that's the saints of the highest one, what did they receive? Dominion, glory, and a kingdom. Dominion, glory, and a kingdom. Okay, so you're like, oh, that's okay. That's awesome. That's going to happen. Okay, let's keep reading. Verse 19, uh, then I desire to know the exact meaning of the fourth beast. Verse 20, the meaning of the ten horns. That's all in the first eight verses. Verse 21, I kept looking, and that horn was waging war with the saints and overpowering them. Everybody say, boo. boo. Until, until is a huge word here. Until the ancient of days came. Okay, follow me what's going on here. Daniel has this vision. He sees all, this, all these beasts, these horns. He asks for, he asks the angel, what do the horns mean? What do the beasts mean? And then he tells him about these kings and about the horns were kingdoms. And then, and then he, he talks about the fact that the horns are, this was one, uh, one of the horns was waging war with the saints and overpowering them until... Until the ancient of days came and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one. And listen to this. And the time arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom. Now, okay, follow me. When, see, okay, so, so there was, the, the horn was waging war with the saints and he was overpowering them. Until something happened. When this, un, like, the until is important because when you're on this side of the until, you're oppressed by the horn, which is, metaphorically speaking, the demonic realm. But after the until, not only is the horn, not only does the horn lose, that's good, but the saints take possession of the kingdom. Why is that important? Because when the Son of Man takes possession of the kingdom, he doesn't just get the kingdom, he gets dominion, glory, and the kingdom. So the question is, when? Because every Christian in the world believes that. The question is, when is the until? Where do you put the until? That determines how you live. Because right after the until, you get dominion, glory, and a kingdom. Okay, so look at, so it says, when the, it, until the ancient of days came, and judgment was passed, okay, so here's part of it. Judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one. And, and, so two things. Judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one. And the time arrived for the saints to take possession of the kingdom. Are you with me? Okay, let's read on. And then uh, verse 23. Thus he said, oh, where am I? Yeah. The fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom, and he talks about that. Verse 24 the ten horns, um, as for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings will rise. Verse 25, he'll speak out against the Most High, and he'll wear down the saints of the highest one. And he'll intend to make alterations in the times and in the law. And they will be given into his hand, for listen to this, for time, times, and a half time. But the court will sit for judgment. And his dominion will be taken away, annihilated and destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty and the dominion and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. 
His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions will serve and obey him. Okay, the question is, when is the until? Well, remember, two things mark the until. The first one is that the Ancient of Days took a seat, and judgment was passed in favor of the saints. And the second sign is, and the time arrived for the saints to take possession of the kingdom. Are you with me? Okay, those things mark a new epic season. And before that, remember that the, it says that the devil took the time, times, and half time. In other words, he took the times, he stole the times for two and a half seasons. And then God, then, then God stepped in and said, I'll take that time back. I'll take back that epic season. First, let me just take you through this real quick. Matthew chapter 16. So when does, when does the until happen? Look at Matthew chapter 16. I'll just read these to you. You don't have to turn there. Verse 28. Truly I say to you, there are some of those standing here that will not taste of death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. 24, uh, chapter 24, verse 14. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. Then the end will come. Mark 12, 34. When Jesus saw that the man had answered intelligently, he said to him, you're not far from the kingdom. Luke 4, 43. He said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for I've been sent for this purpose. Luke 9, 2. He sent them out to proclaim what? The kingdom of God and to perform. You, have to, you guys have to read this book. It is just a really bestseller. <laughs> he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to perform healing. Luke 10, 9. Heal those who are sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. Luke chapter 12, verse 31. You know this. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added to you. What were you supposed to seek? The kingdom. Isn't that interesting? John chapter 3. Verse 3, Jesus answered Nicodemus and he said, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Luke, I mean, John 3, 5, Jesus answered, Truly I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. <laughs> Acts chapter 1, verse 3, To those he also appeared uh, himself, uh, I'm sorry, to those he also presented himself alive after suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over 40 days and speaking to them the, thir- the things concerning the kingdom of God. Acts chapter 19, verse 8, he entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning with them concerning the what? Kingdom of God. It's the, um, what is it, uh, Luke chapter 9, it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13, for he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and he transferred us to, into the kingdom of his beloved son. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 28, therefore since we have received a what? Kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable sacrifice of reverence and awe. What's the point? Remember he said, he, he said, the horn waged war against the saints until the ancient of days came. And what, did it, what happened? And judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one, and the time arrived for the saints to take possession of the kingdom. What did Jesus say? It's the Father's good pleasure to what? Give you the kingdom. What did Colossians say? We've been delivered out of the kingdom of darkness, and we've been delivered into the kingdom of, his, of God. 
And, and Colossians said that when Jesus died on the cross, he publicly displayed the devil as defeated. Matthew 28, he said, all authority has been given to me. That means someone has none. You have to get this. I understand this, this, maybe you know this in your brain, but I can tell you that most Christians don't know it with experience. What happened? Remember, it says that the, that the horn was waging war with the saints, and it says the time that the beast, I'm sorry, this is earlier, that the beast, that his authority was taken away, but his life was extended. What is that? The devil authority was taken away, but his life was extended. Why? Okay, let's back up. How did the devil end up on this planet? He said, I will be like God. I will rise up to the assembly and I will be like God. And God said, no, you won't be. And, he said, and God says, in fact, I'm going to thrust you down to the earth. And he thrust the devil down to a planet that was formless and void. In other words, the word formless and void is the Hebrew word chaos. And so, this is, so the devil is on this planet. There's, who knows, there's billions of planets probably. I don't know. And, but God throws him down to this rock floating through space, probably looks something like Mars or the moon. It's just, a, it's just a rock. There's no sun. There's no moon. There's no light. There's no, there's, no, there's no life. There's no water. He's just floating on this planet with, his, with one-third of the angels who are now demons. And we don't know if he, if he was on that rock for a, a day or if, he, or if it was a billion years. We don't know. But suddenly he hears, let there be light. And the planet lights up. Now remember, there's no sun or moon yet. So he knows it's God. (laughs) Only God can make light without making the sun or moon. He says, let there be light. There's light. And he separates the light from the darkness. Did you get that? He separates the light from the darkness. The good from the evil. Are you with me? And he begins to Put the sun and the moon and, 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 the, and the devil's on the planet. And what did, what's the devil want to be? How did he get there? Let's be like God. And he's on this planet and, and all of a sudden green starts to happen and trees and, and it starts to resemble heaven. And he sees water and, and, and life is happening and God is forming things. And maybe he's thinking, wow, God relented. And then on the sixth day, something terrible happens. He hears this. God says, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. What did the devil want to be? Like God. God says, says, listen, this is the rest of your penalty. Before I throw you into the lake of fire, I'm going to create a planet where all the beings on the planet have what you wanted. They're going to be walking Christs, Christians, and I'm going to give them authority to tread on serpents. Remember, you're going to tread, you're going to, listen, what, you're going to be crawling on the ground and you're going to be eating dust, and I'm going to give them authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So what happens? The devil comes in, 
And remember, when Adam and Eve fell, they didn't disobey God. They didn't just disobey God, they obeyed the devil. God said, don't eat the tree. The devil said, do eat the tree. God gave them authority over the planet. God said, don't eat the tree. The devil said, eat the tree, and they changed masters. And God goes, that's okay, because I crucified my son from the foundation of the world. (laughs) This was all to suck you in. (laughs) Now I'm going to send God as the son of man. The son of God's going to become the son of man so the sons of men could become sons of God. You made a serious mistake now. You you made a serious mistake now. Because when you crucified the Christ, you released the DNA in all the sons of God. Now the sons of God are all, now all the sons of men are sons of God. Serious mistake. Now what did he do? Did he kill the devil on the cross? No, no, no. He took away all of his authority and then let him live. It's the rest of his sentence. Remember, all authority has been given to me. What did Daniel say? And authority was taken from him, but his life was extended. (laughs) See, he's gonna be in the lake of fire the rest of his life, but this is part of his sentence. That the people who he tormented are gonna torment him first. The devil's after me. No, 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 you got it completely wrong. You got it completely wrong. You are after him. You, see, he's, the devil has convinced you that he's still in charge. He doesn't have any power or any authority. I've given you power and authority. I've given you, I've given you power over all the power of the enemy. Over not just some of it, I've given you power over all the power of the enemy. And I extended his life on purpose. See, you don't understand. The, the, the Lord extended the devil's life. Not for, not, not for his sake, for your sake. And he's like, okay, tread on. Just tread on. It's part of your glory that you get to tread on the serpents that tormented your forefathers. Are you following this? This is a good word. <laughs> okay, I want to read you the rest of this. Are you, okay, we're all, we, I said about 20 minutes. I'm almost there. <laughs> but the court will sit for judgment, and his dominion will be taken away. His dominion will be taken away, annihilated, and destroyed forever. Did you notice it didn't say he will be, he will be destroyed? It said his dominion will. When Jesus died on the cross, he died as a man. Why did God have to become a man? Because the heavens, the highest heavens, belong to the Lord, but the earth has been given to the sons of men. So it had to be a son of man who got the dominion back because it was the son of man that God gave it to in the first place. You were created to rule. Genesis 1, he said, be fruitful and multiply, (laughs) remember this, and subdue the earth. Your divine call was to rule and reign. You're just practicing on this planet. Because according to Romans, we're going to rule and reign with him forever. This is practice. This is boot camp. Man, this is such a good word. (laughs) I needed to hear this. Turn to Romans 8. We're almost done. Romans 8. 
Verse 14. For all those who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the what? Sons of what? God. Okay, don't just say it. Think about what you just said. For all these who are being led by the Spirit of God. Are you led by the Spirit of God? Yeah, okay. You are what? Sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of slavery. Eddie. You have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again. Why am I afraid when I'm a slave? I'm powerless. If you feel powerless, you're deceived. Oh, there you go. Just, just throw it on me, brother. No, no, no. You're deceived because the truth is you're powerful. Let's read on. You have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you received a spirit of adoption as sons, which with we cry, Abba, the word is Daddy, God. Remember when Jesus taught the disciples to pray? He didn't say, pray, oh great God in heaven, you almighty God. He said, pray this, Father, our Father, who's in heaven. The God who made everything goes, you can call me daddy. And you needed a savior? Call him son. It's a family affair. Listen, you're in a cosmic family. You have not received the spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, which which you cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself... The Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, himself, testifies with our spirit, little s, that we are children of God. (laughs) You haven't got it yet. If we are children, then we are heirs also. See, our daddy is not president of presidents. He's king of kings. I'm saying he didn't get elected. It wasn't, the majority didn't elect him. He's king of kings, and you are the kings he's king over. Paul said, you are already kings. Well, I don't feel like a king. Well, you are. Or you're a queen. (laughs) The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we've suffered with him, so we will also be what? glorified with him for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's about to be revealed to us for for the, the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God verse 20 for creation was subjected to fertility not willingly but because him who subjected it in hope that creation itself would be set free from slavery to corruption. The s- creation is in slavery to corruption. And it, was, it wants to be set free into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. I need to read it again. That creation itself would be set free from slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Not only this, but we ourselves, having been the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. 
What's it saying? Remember when Adam and Eve fell? We know the curse over, by the way, this is interesting, and I'm almost done. The curse over the devil, remember this? The curse over the serpent was, you're gonna what? Crawl on your belly and eat dirt. You know the second part of this first curse was? And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between her seed and your seed. Not just your seed, that's fulfilled in Christ. I'll put enmity between you and the woman. That wasn't a curse over the woman, it was the curse over the devil. You know what the devil's curse was? You're gonna eat dirt and the woman's mad at you eternally. (laughs) All of us that are married, husbands, we understand this. The curse over the devil was the woman's gonna be mad at you. You, you, You made a serious mistake, you made the woman mad at you. And anyone who doesn't think that the woman was co-reigning with her husband doesn't understand the Genesis story. The serpent came to the woman because he knew she was in charge. How do you know that? And she gave to her husband and he ate. She told her husband what to do. God said don't do this, but he listened to the woman. And you know, the curse, what was the curse over the woman? You shall uh, have pain in childbirth, and what? And your husband will what? Rule over you. The husband never ruled over her before that. They co-reigned. It divine... I <laughs> know, oh, I should preach on women. I'm writing a book on women right now, so it's fresh in my mind. Divine design was co-reigning. This was the curse. Okay, let me finish. And the curse over the man was what? You will till the ground, but it will yield what? Thorns and thistles. Remember when Jesus died on the cross? What did he have on his head? A crown of what? Thorns. Why did he have a crown of thorns? Because when he was crucified, he, was, he wasn't just breaking the curse over Adam. He was breaking the curse over creation. Creation was prone to slavery, to corruption. So Adam tilled the ground, but it yielded thorns and thistles instead of fruit. Why? Because the ground was cursed. That's why when Jesus died on the cross, remember he died at Golgotha? That's the place of the skull. Why? Because he was the head of the church. And why did he have a crown of thorns on his head? Because he was crucified in that way of thinking. He was breaking the curse over creation. But what's the problem? The problem is, is that when Jesus rose from the dead, remember, finishing this, John 20, Jesus rose from the dead, Peter and John ran into the tomb. John got there first, according to John's gospel. The only gospel that records who got there first was John's gospel. <laughs> Do you know that? Actually, John's gospel is the only gospel that says that John was the disciple whom Jesus loved, and John wrote it. <laughs> they get inside the tomb, and you, can, and you can picture this, you know. It says, and John got there first, but Peter ran inside, which totally just depicts their, their, their personalities, doesn't it? Peter just runs inside. John got there first, but Peter runs inside. And what did they see? They saw two linen wrappings. One linen wrapping that covered the face, it says, was, it was taken up and it was folded and put in another place. But the linen wrapping that covered the body was still where the body once lied. Why? Because when Jesus rose from the dead, the head was revealed, but the body had yet to be revealed. What is Romans, what is creation waiting for? It's waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. It says all creation 
is groaning under the curse. Why? The curse has been broken, but the sons don't know it. Remember, all creation is waiting for, to be released from slavery to corruption into what? The glory of God? No, the glory of the children of God. What's the point? The devil knows who you are. God knows who you are. Creation knows who you are. It's only you who don't know who you are. And creation is groaning. And what's it trying to do? It's trying to give birth to what? What's it trying to give birth to? It's trying to give birth not to the sons of God. It's trying to give birth to the revelation that, it would, that, you, that your eyes would be uncovered and you would realize that you, have, you are glorious children of God. Do you know why creation is waiting for you to know who you are? Because until you know who you are, it can't come into what it was created to be. It, you can't be, listen, you won't live in a palace until you know you're a prince. And creation is waiting to be a palace, but it's waiting for its prince to emerge. You were born to rule the world. You were born to make disciples of all nations, not just in all nations. You have reduced your call to something you can do without God. And you've been deceived into thinking that you can, and you cannot. But guess what? You're not without God. (laughs) I can't do anything without God. True. But he never leaves you, which means you can do all things. I don't know how we get stuck there. It's like, I can't do anything without God. Why talk about it? He's always present, so it's, it's a non-factor. Brother, do you know you can't do anything without God? I don't think about it because he's always home. I, I, I mean, it's not a factor in my life because he's always with me. So I don't sit there and go, you know I can't do anything without God. It never occurs to me because... He's always there. So I'm not thinking about what I can't do because he's always home. <laughs> so, so the question is, what are you doing? <laughs> well, brother, I believe that's the millennium. You can believe that if you want. Well, brother, what if you're wrong? I'm going to be the happiest person the beast ever killed if I'm wrong. Because I don't think we should create a a theology that re-empowers a disempowered devil. When Jesus died on the cross, he disempowered the devil. I'm not going to create an eschatology that re-empowers a disempowered devil. Jesus told me to take authority over all the power of the enemy. I believe that's in every age. I'm not afraid of the Antichrist. He's afraid of me. He's Antichrist. I'm pro-Christ. I'm having me a millennium. Are you in the thousand-year reign of Christ? I'm in the forever reign of Christ. 
Do you believe in the thousand-year reign of Christ? No, I believe in the forever reign of Christ. You don't think it's going to be a thousand years? Well, it might be, but I think it's forever. It says we will reign with him forever and forever, for all times, forever. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, will not pass away, and his, <laughs> and his dominion is one that will not be destroyed. Well, what does a thousand years mean? I don't know, but I, I can tell you verse after verse after verse, it says that his dominion is forever and that I came into a kingdom that can't be shaken. I'm in a kingdom that can't, I'm not going to, I'm already in a kingdom that can't be shaken. Well, how about the Antichrist, the devil, and, and the 666, and I don't know, you know what? If he puts 666 on your head and you stand on your head, it's 999. <laughs> he came to turn the world upside down. I'm thinking all nines. I'm telling you, the, you know, the, Christianity is obsessed with, this, with seven years. We spent 2,000 years talking about seven. And I'm just tired of it myself. I'm just ready to be in charge. Just call me His Majesty or His Highness will do. <laughs> I'm kidding about that, but I've decided that if my God, if my, if my Father is God and I'm a child of God, and He said, sit right here on my throne till I make your enemies a footstool for your feet, I decided, I think I'll just go ahead and believe it. I'm going to stop acting like a slave and I'm going to start acting like a prince. Because he said so, and I think that it's good for the earth. So I talk to the plants and stuff. I'm like, hey, you're so lucky you're in my yard. You're lucky you're one of my plants because I know who I am. So just be free to bloom. Be free to bloom here. And bees, be free to do what bees do, whatever the bees do. Just be free to do that. And Go ahead and just be beautiful because you are in the yard of a prince. So in my little corner of the world, you just listen, just, hey, plants, trees, birds, deer, all, everything, dirt, 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 thank you. I was formed from dirt. Just thank you so much for this great body. <laughs> just thank you. I just, just, just go ahead and just be yourself. Just pretend like you're the Garden of Eden and I am Adam and she is Eve. And I will sleep with just my underwear on just so we keep everything good to go. Yep. And talking to the fishes and the birds. Hey birds, this, this new, no poop zone. He said rule over the fish and the birds. I've just been practicing. I parked my car right under the tree, and I'm like, do not poop on this car right here. And I go out there, and there's a spot on it. I'm like, hey, 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 hey. You're acting like a slave. Do not crap on my car. Gone a long time. Why don't you stand, and let's commission you. How many of you have a circumstance, okay, here we go, God, remember, 
No line. Remember, remember Ananias and Sapphira? <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> How many of you have a circumstance in your life that feels out of control, out of your control, out of your control? I said feels. I, 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 I'm not talking about, I know you know it's not, but it feels like it's out of control. It's out of control. Would you raise your hand, please? Let's just be real. Okay, now you heard tonight, you know it's not, right? But it feels like it is. Okay, leave your hand up for a minute. Okay, I'm gonna, we're going to pray for you right now. And it's most of you, so we can't have people lay hands on you because you'll get their circumstance. <laughs> Impartation could have a negative effect on you. End up with double trouble. But Lord, I just, leave your hand up. Lord, we just release right now sovereignty, dominion, and a kingdom that can't be shaken. Right now, over every person, and I have them too. I, ha I, have, I have two circumstances that are, that are currently in my life right now that feel out of control. And Lord, I, I thank you. I, first of all, I thank you that that's a lie. That they are not out of, the, out of control because they're in your control and I'm in your control and that means they're totally in control. That all things work together for good. For those who love God, that's me, and call according to his purposes, that's me too. So therefore, this circumstance that feels out of control in our lives, it's not true. It's, it's totally in control. And I pray that you would take this circumstance that we just raised our hands about and that you would create dominion, glory, and a kingdom out of it. That you would make it good. That you would make it, no, 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 not good. That you would make it for glory. That's better than good. That's good on steroids. Lord, I just release that over each of us right now in Jesus' name. Now put your hands out, all of you, everybody. And, and just say this. I, I am a child of the king. I'm a co-heir with Jesus Christ. I sit on a very big throne with Jesus. And God is my daddy. And therefore, he's powerful. And me too. Because of who I am. I got it through adoption. But I receive it for myself. And I intend to use this authority to destroy the works of the devil and extend the kingdom of God in a way that benefits me, my children, my children's children, and my children who are yet to be born. That I, right now, make a covenant with God that my children's 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 children will receive a kingdom and will receive the planet in better shape than I got it in because the kingdom is an ever-increasing kingdom and his government is a king is a government that is ever-increasing and his glory is one that goes from glory to glory and therefore it is true that the world is improving around me because you gave me dominion so that I will improve the planet. You said, pray that earth would be like heaven. And I intend to believe what you told me to pray. In Jesus' name.